You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. What What's your go to in the world of fishing craft? I really, really love um, the pontoon boat. I, I love a a, a nine foot um, kind of a flat bottom pontoon boat. It's it doesn't have the riser. They're not. Like I used to develop pontoon boats with water skeeters. So I was on a d- design team with them when they made all these boats. So, wow. uh, the, yeah, one of them was called the river tamer that we did. And it, it had very high wide, uh, pontoon boats that had a really, uh, rocker system yeah. to them. Yeah. That's so the one I had. That's the one I had. Yeah. So they're made specifically for the river. They're really, crappy on the lake because they just they get, they get blown all over the place yeah amen yeah so I, I i designed this other one that was 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 for both river and lakes and it's got a little bit more of a flat bottom on it uh it started off as being called the fish cat which was before outcast had the fish cat what's the best gig you've had so far well i've got to say there's two of them um my the my business, the fine cast agencies that I did, was probably the most self-fulfilling uh, and the most challenging because uh, it was all mine. That was me going out there, figuring things out, and banging on doors. And you know, this was before the internet and all that stuff. You had to, you know, call and make an appointment, and go see somebody, uh, and that was really exciting. That and that was that was a great job for me. Um, I think on the other side, though, with, you know, being in the luxury menswear business as well, uh, probably uh, my time spent as um, running the Hugo Boss store in Holt Renfrew, I think, because I ran into so many celebrities. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires, bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us this time around, and we are going to take another trip to the water, to the tying bench, do what we always do, seek out passionate people in the fly fishing space. And we've got a legend in my mind on the line, and I'm really excited to chat with Patrick Gilmore. Now, Patrick is out of White Rock, British Columbia, Canada. Whether you've met Pat or not, I guarantee you, you probably fished some of the products that he used to sell back in the day. He has Pat's Premium Flies, uh, his nickname, a.k.a. Happy Gilmore. He uh, was instrumental in starting the Sheep River Fly Fishing Club. If you ever bought any fly fishing equipment or tying equipment in Western Canada, say between uh, the early 80s and the early 2000s, you probably, well, Pat's probably responsible 
putting it in your hands. Uh, he had uh, started with tight lines, dry fly powder, hook and hackle. That's a name that goes way back, uh, especially in, in Canada. Fine cast agencies, uh, Whiting's, Metz, Waspy, Hairline, Arizona Simi Seal, Uni, who didn't tie with that back in the day, uh, Rainey's Foam, Umqua, Danville, Loon, Tiemco, Mustad. It's a long list. Partridge. I'm going to do it anyway. Griffin, D.H. Thompson. That was my first vice. Dr. Slick, Scientific Angler, a.k.a. S.A., um, Airflow Outcast, first guy to bring pontoon boats. Uh, so, man, I, I'm grateful for that because that changed my world. Caddis, Filson, Cortland, Lamaglass, who didn't have a Lamaglass back in the day, Scott Rods, Water Skeeters, have one still hanging even though they're out of business, Marriott Rods. <laughs> Patrick, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure, Mark. This is uh, this is quite an honor, actually, to be on your on your podcast. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, let's do what we always do. Let's start at the beginning. How did you come to discover fly fishing? Kind of walk us through that uh, journey a little bit, if you will. Okay, uh, sure. It was probably back in the early '80s. Um, we were on a family camping trip. Uh, way, way up on the higher, higher reaches of the Elk River Pass, Elkford. And uh, one of the guys that was on the trip had a fly rod. And uh, he outfished all of us, like combined. He was catching fish like crazy. And I'm like, oh, I got to do that. that. That looks like fun. <laughs> so that's kind of where, the, where it started, was the, the influence of, you know, seeing somebody actually doing something with this. And it was also quite... Uh, it had quite a bit of finesse to it and, and art to it. It was uh, beautiful to watch. And I, I just wanted to get to know how to do this better. I thought it was a, a good, a good way to go fishing. Mm-hmm. I, I know what you mean. And, and you know what, that's a common story. Cause I think a lot of us probably started out spin casting, but the first time you see that person, that gal or that guy um, throwing a fly and kicking your butt, you know, <laughs> basically <laughs> Fishing something that is natural in the water, or at least looks natural to the trout or whatever you happen to be chasing, it's it's a bit of a game changer. So I, I want to talk about your influences, Patrick, because I know you you know the who's who uh, of, of the fly fishing world. Why don't you walk us through who mainly influenced you as, as you kind of started figuring this stuff out? Uh, I think the... Uh, it was other fly fishermen for sure. Like in this little town, I, w- I was living in this small town called Okotoks, just south of Calgary, um, back in the 80s, 90s, the 2000s. And um, um, when I first picked up my fly rod at the local hardware store, it's an old Martin cheap fan, and the whole thing cost 50 bucks. And I'd go down to the river and I'd see other fly fishermen on this little steep river that ran through our place. And little did I know that uh, that Jim McLennan was was one of them, who's who's a legend in fly fishing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of others. Um, And I didn't know who he was. I didn't. I just said, "Hey, uh, you know, hey, I'm new to fly fishing. Can you can you kind of help me out a little bit?" And he he helped me out um, just enough for me to make my own mistakes and and learn. So I I lost a lot of flies that year. (laughs) <laughs> but uh he was probably one of the most inspirational and then the list will go on and on as my years went by it was like gary borger jack dennis gary lafontaine 
uh, one of my most influential people at this point in my life, I think, was Don Freshy from uh, Sport Fishing on the Fly. Nice. Yeah, I think he's probably been the most influential in in my my fly fishing life. I was just watching him on TV before we hopped on this call. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, any other names come to mind? I mean, I know um, you mentioned Jim McLennan's name came up a lot uh, when you and I first talked. It sounded like he also right. had a, a pretty big impact on you. Yeah, he was he was one of the most influential. I also uh, had him as a guest at my fly fishing club many times and, and saw him on the river many times. Uh, there was a few others that are, are not really um, that people I don't think would know, like Stu Sliman really helped me out with lake fishing. Um, uh, another, uh, Rick Harding was also uh, instrumental in sort of teaching me some stuff. Uh, and then there was another, uh, Jack Hasty. He was a, he was the old man mentor. You know, when you're young and you, run across the old grandpa guy that's on the river or, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he's barely moving. He, he, we're all over the place. And this guy's just in one spot <laughs> for four hours and kicking our butts, you know? So, yeah. um, so, you know, guys like that old, old mentors, people who were mentors in the industry really, you know, gave me some, some, you know, help and influence along the way. And the other, I must admit, uh, you know, mention that shop owners, um, Many, many, many shop owners had podcast agency business running and visiting all the small towns all over uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, BC. Um, they were great. They'd take me out to the secret spots. And um, one of the guys I think was probably one of my my favorite guys to run into was, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Down in, uh, down in Fernie. Uh, Gord oh. Silverthorne. Oh, I love that shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He used to go there all the yeah. time. Yeah, he was great. I helped him set up his shop when he first opened up. So we've been friends for over 25 years. So it's, uh, yeah, people like that. I mean, there's inf- there's influence all over the place. All you got to do is look. Did you ever call on a place called Big Sky Sports or Taylor Sports Shop in Penticton? Taylor Sports Shop, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm Big Sky. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Penticton. So I I used yeah. to work there, and uh, so we probably oh. we probably have met, but it was a long time ago. That's, funny. That's probably why you got that water skier hanging in your garage. Well, that I love that water skier, and I got you to blame. <laughs> See, yeah. well, as soon as pontoon boats, well, I guess we can go back to really belly boats, and then the U boats, and then the pontoon boats. It's just been. Yeah. Uh, I I have so many questions for you, but. Uh, First off, before we get into um, kind of what you're up to these days with Pat's Premium Flies, um, I want I want to ask you a few kind of uh, off the cuff questions and just kind of get to know your day to day. You ready for that? Sure, let's let's go. All right. So um, if you're heading to the elk or you're heading to your favorite stretch of water, the sheep, what are you listening to in the truck normally? Uh. Back in those days, uh, like when, like in my most memorable um, uh, days, I guess, or trips, uh, would be down to the Crow's Nest River, and I would be driving from uh, Oaks Tulch, and it was a two and a half hour drive to get down there. So I usually threw in Pink Floyd, The Wall, 
because it was just Ooh, about nice. the right time. <laughs> and mm. that's what I would listen to all the way down. You go south of Longview and you go for two hours without seeing anything but cows and ranches. Mm. And, you know, I, there's a couple of rivers I'd stop on the way down, but that's kind of what I would you know, get me into that, that mood or that, that place. Right. But, so yeah, I was used to pink flight. I love it. Um, so if you're hitting the water, um, and l- let's keep this to the moving water right now, just to kind of, uh, not be all over sure. the map. W- one go-to fly pattern. So for somebody that, that sold all these patterns and, and spent so much time selling, the different products, and that's a huge portfolio back in the day you used to have. What was your one go-to fly pattern? So if you're hitting a, you know, a, a small creek or river, uh, a caddis for sure. Uh, that would be the like if I only had one in the box, it would be caddis. Uh, uh, but there's kind of a tie there. The next one would be the Adams. Yeah, those would be the two top dry flies that I have to have in my box right down from to size 20 right up to size well probably 10 when you first started how much was one fly remember holy cow i think it was like a buck yeah. 75 cents maybe? 75 yeah i believe yeah it. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah now we're now we're dating ourselves um, yeah. <laughs> favorite place, Patrick, to talk fly fishing? Like, was, um, I'm, where do you go to get your fix? So when you're not in your waders, you're not on the water. I mean, is it a social media thing? Is it a coffee shop? Is there a brew pub? Where do you get your fix in, in fly fishing today when you're not fishing? Well, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been restricted just because of my current health issues that we'll get into later. Um, so I'm kind of uh, uh, restricted to online um, meeting and chatting and, and things like that. So uh, really, it's probably the Facebook um, clubs and groups. I think that's probably the best places yeah. and some pod- podcasts that I'll, I'll sit and listen to. Or, But mostly I, I do most of my stuff online, watching videos of fly tying. And then, then communicating with the author of, of that of that particular video. So that's kind of where I'm getting my fix today. What do you what do you do when you're tying? Let's say you're at your tying bench right now, Patrick, and, and you're tying something up. What are you listening to? You got music on the go, podcast, nothing. What's happening there? Radio? No, it, nothing. It's uh, I used to have music playing, and I used to you know, have, have stuff going on and, and, but now it's just, I really concentrate on what I'm doing. Just silence. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Before, I mean, when I was, you know, like younger, <laughs> I'd probably have, you know, sea Fox in the back or something, some heavy rock and roll <laughs> going and, yeah. and I, you know, tying up a storm, but right now I'm kind of more in the creative mode of fly tying so i'm really kind of really trying to focus you have larry and willie or uh um uh, who was a gal that did the afternoon drive liz mckinney (laughs) in the background right yeah Yeah. i actually worked there for a short time used to get liz coffee (laughs) um (laughs) let's talk let's talk sports um 
you're in White Rock now, but you spent a lot of time in Southern Alberta, so this could go a lot of ways. Um, yeah. who, who do you cheer yeah. for in the world of sports? Well, um, I, I, I married a really sweet Vancouverite here, or well, actually someone from White Rock, uh, who's an avid Vancouver fan. Um, but it's, it's interesting. There's a little bit of a twist to this. So back when I left here, I was, uh, I went and moved to, to Alberta to, to greener pastures, as I thought, um, the, uh, it was Vancouver Canucks all the way. And then when, you know, after I was Vancouver for probably 10, maybe even 15 years when I was in, uh, Alberta, and then it changed to, uh, Calgary. And then I was a huge Calgary fan because you can't, not be a Calgary fan living in Calgary. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get you that. Know, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean the 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 energy there. I mean, every, when um, there's a home game, everyone's wearing the jerseys. Everybody, like it's just red jerseys everywhere. It was very different here in Vancouver when I moved back. But you know, long story short, uh, Vancouver is my go-to team and has been for the last ten years, or. 40 years, depends on how you look at it. <laughs> and, um, um, but as of lately, they're, they're not doing, you know, very well. So we might be, might be convincing my wife to be uh, looking at Calgary for watching hockey as the uh, season progresses. Yeah. Well, they're having a good year so far for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, th- this is a big question. Um, but I'm really curious biggest lesson that you've learned on this journey regarding fly fishing like what i mean by that is what does it bring into your world what what do you think of when you think of time on the water um that's that's a good question it's a a deep question i think the um i think it brings focus um understanding uh tranquility peace, rhythm. Um, uh, like when I, when I was teaching fly fishing, I, I, I try to tell them that this is not, it's not about the fly cast. It's not about catching a fish. It's about finding your inner self. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I, I like that's that. Kind of, yeah, that's kind of where I look at it. I look at it as, as a, um, like as you get better, as you grow older and you're, you've, you've had, you know, 10 years and then 20 years and then 30 years of experience, the, the, the focus of it or the excitement of it changes. I, I believe that it changes to more of a Zen kind of thing that you're after that perfect cast and that, and to get that, that balance is just right. And you need that, perfect cast right underneath the branch and that little tiny wee back yeti that you've been watching a trout raise for the last 10 minutes and you hook up that's tough mm, yeah yeah that, it's, it's hard to put that into words that. isn't it but those yeah. those that listen to this podcast know exactly what you're talking about so uh, <laughs> i can appreciate it fill in the blank for me patrick when i'm not fly fishing i'm usually doing what uh, tying. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Tying or working on my website. 
Yeah. Well, we'll get into that uh, in, in just a little bit. Um, hey, you know, this is a tough one, but best job you've ever had. So, I mean, this could go a lot of ways. And I know you were in the fashion world. You were in the fly fishing world. You worked for Hugo Boss. You worked for, you worked a lot of different places, had a, had a few kind of reincarnations. Um, what's the best gig you've had so far? Well, I've got to say there's two of them. Um, my, the, my business, the fine cast agencies that I did was probably the most self-fulfilling, uh, and the most challenging, uh, cause it was all mine. That was me going out there, figuring things out and banging on doors. And, you know, this was before the internet and all that stuff. You had to you know, call and make an appointment and go see somebody. Uh, and that was really exciting. That, and that was, that was a great job for me. Um, I think on the other side though, with, you know, being in the luxury menswear business as well, uh, probably, uh, my time spent as, um, running the Hugo Boss store in Holt Renfrew, I think, because I ran into so many celebrities and I'm kind of a, uh, um, who, who? Someone, that, someone that just loves seeing celebrities. Yeah, no, no <laughs> I get it. Who, who was yeah. who was the most kind of jaw-dropping person you met at Holt Renfrew? I think the guy that I worked with and I I, I met was Elvis Costello. Okay. And yeah, and then I I worked with him for uh, almost six years, so I was his sole guy to. Like whenever you see him pictured anywhere in the last six years, I've probably sold him that outfit. Wow. Then we would do, we would do harmonies when he came in, I'd sing some of his old songs and, and he'd be happy to, you know, to, to sing along every once in a while. Well, funny thing, like, so, so Vancouver, and it still is to this day, but I mean, when Little Mountain Sound was going, you probably saw all kinds of, you know, uh, musicians oh, yeah. roll through. Throw, mm -hmm. throw some other names at us. Who else came through that store? Um, well, the latest and, you know, the biggest, I guess, guy right now is probably um, uh, Michael Bublé. Right. Uh, yeah, I worked with him uh, when he was in on the Junos. Um, I don't know. Wow, there's been so many. Um, uh Boy, uh, like the bare naked ladies, so a lot of those guys came in on a regular basis. Um, Blue Rodeo guys were there all the time. Um, Johnny Mitchell was there a lot. Uh, wow, uh, it just goes on and on. It's hard to really pinpoint anything because hmm. they they were yeah. they were coming in, you know, every month or few months or something. Actors were kind of interesting. Elton John was something else. There was can I tell a little story about Elton John? You you telling me you put a suit on Elton John? That's no small yeah. task. Yeah, there... uh, he's a yeah he's a Gucci guy. He's like all Gucci every all the way. Okay. And um, he came in with his with his partner once. Uh, they were playing. They played up in Kelowna. That was where where his partner is from. Right, uh, yeah. I believe. I and didn't know that. and yeah yeah they've had a little gig up there. And, it was just, you know, really off the cuff. All of a sudden, you turn around, there's Elton John, you know, going through the rack on the wall. And it's like, hey, Elton, wow, what, what's, what brings you up here? And he talks, he's telling me, 
he's a really funny man too. And he, he talks, he's saying, well, we got this little show. And I said, Oh, wow. Great. And then I helped him out for a while. And, you know, off he went and, and it was a great time. We had a lot of fun. And, and then when he was on concert and came here, he was here in Vancouver, he had this huge entourage with them, all these bodyguards. No one could go near him. He was because mm. he was, he was protected right. for the tour. Right. So it was, it was seeing a different side of him. So that, that was pretty interesting. Who's the kindest, nicest celeb you've met in this, in that shop? Uh, I, yeah, I think it would be Elvis Costello. Yeah, it would for sure. Really? Cool. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's interesting. I mean, you've had so many different kind of genres of jobs and, and dealt with so many different people, so many, so many different things. I want to take it back to the water. Um, but before we do, you talked about your best job. What's the worst job you ever had? Catching chickens. Oh boy. That doesn't sound like, <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. No, that was back when you're like, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, back in your teen days. And they'd, they'd pick you up at, at 11 at night and you'd work till four in the morning and you'd just be covered in, chicken crap and yeah that was the worst job i ever had that's about as far away as you can get to hugo boss yeah (laughs) (laughs) so was that was that in okotoks no that was here in white rock when i was a teenager oh man that's awesome yeah i love it All right. Yeah. So so let's let's take it to the water. And I know sure. I know you're not hitting the water a lot these days. I know you're spending more time at the vice. Maybe you know tell us about the health struggles you've been having cuz I know that's been holding you off the water and uh we're trying to time this so you're uh so you're feeling good. Um mm-hmm. which I know you sound good. Um talk to us a little bit about your health journey and and some of the challenges and some of the things you've overcome uh in the past few years. Okay, that's a tough one to go through. Um, Are you comfortable doing it? I mean, I, I, yeah, we can, yeah, I, can, sure. I can edit that. I don't want to. I don't want to go where you don't want to go. I just uh, no, no. We'll we'll go for it. It's important for people to know. I think uh, six years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with a mantle cell lymphoma, which is a very rare type of cancer, and there's really not a cure for it. Like a lot of cancers, there's no cures, but they're getting there. Um, so I went through, I was off work for uh, about a year and eight months uh, during that time. So I did you know, chemo for nine months and then went through a full stem cell transplant. Uh, and those, those are not fun, but really hard. Mm. And got through that and then, once you get through something like that, your blood levels are really, really low after all the chemo and all the treatments. And that's, it took me about four months to get back to work. Uh, so I, I did get back to work and, and uh, I was sort of in remission for a couple of years, about two and a half years, I guess. And then it, it, it uh, showed its ugly face again. So I went in and uh, a, a new treatment has had just been discovered. So I was uh, re-diagnosed in July a uh, new treatment was available. It came available in June, which was really, really fortunate for me. And it was a, a pill. Uh, it was still a chemo type thing. So I was off work again for about four months. And it kind of 
kicks the crap out of you for a while, but once you get used to it, your body adjusts. And, and I was I went for uh, about a year and a half, almost two years, and things were going okay. And then all of a sudden, it came back again. And, um, and then I was in the hospital with uh, really, really aggressive chemo. And this was just in January, uh, January, February of this, this year. And I was in the hospital straight for two months in isolation, you know, with COVID out there. It was really, right. really bad. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. And, yeah. Nurses were run off their feet and, and I couldn't be, I had to be in isolation. So there was an outbreak at the hospital at one point, so I couldn't even have visitors. Jeez. Mm, that's gotta be, that's but, gotta be tough. Yeah, it was pretty tough. And then, then I got out of there. And so uh, after going through all these chemo treatments, your blood levels uh, become quite low. So you're very susceptible to um, infection. So whether there was COVID out there or not, I'd still be um, in a mask and, and that kind of stuff. I'm quite isolated. I can't even get a, a cold or I'd end up in the hospital. Hmm. So are you at home? You're talking to us from home right now, I assume. Yeah. 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 I only get out for a walk every, you know, couple of days or whatever. Also, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, I'm tired a lot and, and, and that's unpredictable. Like sometimes you're great for four hours and next thing you know, you're like, holy crap, I got to find a, a chair or a bed or something and, right. and, and sleep. But it's getting better, you know, every, yeah. every time I'm going for blood, like I go blood work every month to see how I'm doing. And it's, it's getting like very incrementally better, like Good. 5.0% kind of thing. Uh, it's, well, but it's good. It's going in the right direction. You just keep doing your thing because I, you just alluded to something that that's things change so fast now, right? You're getting pills and meds that weren't available. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, now they've got this that can do that. And you're like, Oh, you yeah, know. yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, and the, the other, the, with this, this particular cancer will be coming back. There's no question. And I kind of have the feeling it might be starting to creep its head up again. So hmm. uh, there's a new treatment out now called uh, CAR T cell. Okay. And there, it's in trial right now, so I might be eligible for that. So, you know, they're just keeping me alive for the next miracle cure. Well, look at <laughs> you, you got a lot of people on your side, and uh, I, I I appreciate the strength you're showing. Even just chatting with us today, I know it takes a lot. And let, let's let's um let's talk about you know your happy place, the water. Sure. I mean, um. It, it, Heck, your nick your nickname's Happy Gilmore. Now you told me in the magic van. I wanted to know about this magic van. Is this a Pink Floyd kind of magic van, or is this like a magic? Is this like I got so many different kinds of fly tying materials and boats in this van that you're not going to believe it. It's like an ice ice cream truck for adults. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, like I I would go on the road. I had this this Chevy three fifty panel van. Uh, it kick but you know it was all souped up i had this massive stereo system in it that was that was better than how than home i mean it was just <laughs> awesome you know remember the days you did, put in a did it have you know, shag carpet and and like almost, a buffalo on almost. the side of it 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little teardrop window in the back, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but, yeah, I had it all camperized inside. So I had a bed inside, and then I had uh, sort of a, um, a subfloor. And the subfloor was like this huge floor that had all of my samples and, and rods and reels and fly tying stuff. Like anything you could ever think of was in there if you're out of something that's there. Um, wow. And I had cases and cases and cases of sample stuff, you know, of all the different fly tying dubbing and, and uh, threads and tools and hooks and, and and then anything that was new because I would go down to, excuse me, the uh, fly tackle dealer show in uh, Denver or Salt Lake City. And one was in California. And I'd drive this van down there and I'd pick up new interesting um companies like innovators in the in the fly fishing industry and I, I i'd end up being their representation in canada and i had such unique products and i would take those out to you know the various shops but the the person that sort of that called it the magic van and and actually called me happy gilmore was um don freshy from sport fishing on the fly. That's awesome. I've been trying to get Don on the show. You tell him he needs to come on here. He said he would. I will. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah so he's, you know, cause I, I was instrumental in supporting his show when it first started. So I had many of my companies that I represented, I've convinced them to sponsor the show in some way. So, uh, for example, they did, they had water or, um, uh, outcast pontoon boats, uh, for the first time ever in Canada, there were, you know, these pontoon boats were introduced on sport fishing on the fly. So, hmm. and that was kind of my gig, you know, I, I, and then I, 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 uh, completely, uh, sponsored the, on the bench segment. So you'll see, even now when you see Don tying the vice that he uses is is more than likely one that I supplied to him, as well as like you look in the back and you'll see this old Thompson vice on one of the shelves when he's doing his on event segment, <laughs> and that's my vice. I actually worked with D. H. Thompson to put that thing together. But anyway, so you know what's funny is I have one of those on my on my bench, and I bought it from <laughs> Taylor's or Big Sky. And you right. probably you probably sold it to him. So thanks thanks for that. Thanks well, for the obsession. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so I'd be on some of the shoots for sport fishing on the fly, and and whenever they ran out of something or broke something, I'd go to the van and pull pull it out. And say here here, touch covers. Here, you know, take this. So Don called it the magic van. So every time I was around, it was you know Happy Gilmore and the magic van. I love it. That is a great, that is a great story. Um, what are you driving these days? Not so magic or is it, uh, is it still got some magic left? No, I'm, I'm not, unfortunately not driving. I did have, uh, my, um, my high rider. I had a, uh, Sonoma high rider. That was my good fishing buddy for many, many years. And I finally had to, had to sell it. So yeah, so- I can't, I'm not, I can't drive that much anymore. You're the perfect person, Patrick, to ask this because my my one of my struggles is finding the perfect craft. Okay, so 
when you combine still water with moving water, and Outcast has made a living at that. Water Skeeter made a living at that. I could tell you some crazy white water, class three, four rapids. We take those things down. We probably oh, yeah. shouldn't. But <laughs> what's what's your go-to craft? If you could pick something that you used to sell or even today, you know, we've, we've kind of evolved into these, you know, these uh, Marlins journeys, those, those wide right. bottom punts. What's your go-to in the world of fishing craft? I really, really love um, the pontoon boat. I, I love a, a, a nine foot um, kind of a flat bottom pontoon boat. It's, it doesn't have the riser. They're not, like I used to develop pontoon boats with water skeeters. So I was on a de- design team with them when we made all these boats. So, wow. uh, the, yeah, one of them was called the river tamer that we did. And it, it had very high wide, uh, pontoon boats that had a really, uh, rocker system to them. Yeah. That's so the one I had. That's the one I had. Yeah. So they're made specifically for the river. They're really, crappy on the lake because they just they get, they get blown all over the place yeah amen yeah so I, I i designed this other one that was 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 for both river and lakes and it's got a little bit more of a flat bottom on it uh it started off as being called the fish cat which was before outcast had the fish cat i'll, I'll put that on record we designed it first <laughs> yeah i know the one um, i know the exact boat you're talking about it was kind of flat but it mm-hmm. still had the it still had some shape, but when it sat on the water, it was quite low. Yeah, so that that's my favorite, and it's got I got a, a carrying thing in the back. I did, you know, have one that I would be able to stand on a platform, um, but I didn't like that that much. Some guys do, some guys love it. They have the the ten foot pontoons, and you can put the this you know this slide out uh, platform. It's underneath your seat and stand and cast, but I don't, I don't like doing that. I, I'm comfortable in my chair and if I don't have to stand up to cast on a lake. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just, um, well, you're up high ten... in, in the seat. You're up fairly yeah. high, right? You got some leverage. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've also developed a, a, well, a lot of guys have done this now, but I, I back in the late eighties, I think I developed a, a 10 foot um, five weight rod specifically for fishing lakes. And that was, it was actually designed to, uh, for the guy in the float tube. So you had a, a higher arc what, and a longer what, cast. What brand was that? Oh, it was, it was my own. We were working with um, the sports innovations, putting it together. Uh, I got two or three prototypes done and then, uh, then it just it kind of fell apart at that point. Well, you but must. I did manage. You must look at the Stillwater scene today and go, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see guys with you know this this hey, that's new and improved ten foot four weight rod, especially for lake fishing. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I love it. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I, I, the pontoon boat still is my favorite. The reason why I believe is. Why I really like it is because of its stealthness. Um, yeah. I think you have to sort of um, uh, sacrifice a bit of comfort for stealthness. Uh, I I think uh, personally I like being I like having the water in my feet 
You wouldn't be. No. Did, didn't they have one called the Stealth? Was that was that? Oh, that's the newer uh, one. Probably. I guess. Yeah, I think that's the frameless one. But yes, yes, it's a frameless one. Yeah. So, I think um, uh, what's his name does that one? Scadden, Dave Scadden does. He started the Stealth one. Yeah, he's he, well. I, I've had a few Scaddens over the years. He's another great innovator for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're in your favorite outcast boat, um, what are you using for fins? Because I, I struggled over the years, and I, I arrived on something that worked for me. But I'm curious from from your point of view, what's your go to in fins? Like, is it the force fins? Is it something else? Well, the force fins are great. They were great in a in a float tube because of their you know, they, they wouldn't put you anywhere when you were sort of back kicking, you know, the, that was the whole idea with them. They, the, the fin would sort of fold up while you're back kicking. So you're, you're only, uh, when you're kicking properly, you're going backwards. So when you're back, you know, when your legs coming down, you're not moving forward. That was the whole idea with the force fin. Um, I de- developed one with, Sports Innovations, that was a, a strap-on to your boot or your booty, and it would, it had a, um, it was a reverse fin, so the fin was at the top of your toe. Uh, right. They don't make, they don't make them. I, I'm thinking I might try to put them together again. They were great. Did that so have, the fin the, would come, was that a solid back or was that the strap with the buckle? It was a strap, yeah, yeah a strap back. And then the, the base of it was basically like a wading boot. So it had a, a felt bottom and a, 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 Ooh, a sort I like of a, that. A, yeah, a lug sort of setting. So that when you came out of your boat, you could actually walk up the bank. You didn't, you didn't have yeah. to take your waders or your, your, your fins off first. Yeah, well, that's um, what I found online. They were, they were made for Navy SEALs in the States. And basically it was so that you could basically scuba dive or snorkel onto shore and then just it had a wicked spring. You just snap them up and walk out. And oh, I, that'd be perfect. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll, uh, the name's escaping me. They, I think they might've gone out of business, but, um, uh, probably a lot of companies do. And I think what happens is, you know, you get the stuff, uh, produced in, in, in factories that, that don't really, they're not your best. They're not looking after your best interest. If you've got a really good idea, um, the next thing you know, it's in shops under a different name. Yeah, uh, and that's that's kind of what happened to to myself with a few things. Hmm. You know, I was kind of you know backdoored by the factories, and sure, and you can't fight them. There's nothing you can do. There's there, you know, nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I but I hear you. Yeah. But yep. fins nowadays, I don't use fins. I use the electric motor. So okay, fair. And I'll swivel seat, and I'll put my feet up on the pontoon, and just kind of cruise around. When you go, where do you like to go? I mean, do you get up into the interior on occasion? Are you fishing locally? Yeah, I like uh, the the place that I've gone for probably twenty some odd years now. Is a small lake uh, in between the upper and lower shoe swamps called White Lake. Um, well, that's my I might, goal. I might've fished that a few hundred times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, maybe, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah, I yeah. used to live in Salmon that, Arm, So I've been there a few oh, times. Oh, there you go. So that's, that's my favorite place. I've, I've, I've gone all over the place. I've gone to all the different lakes 
in Merritt and Caribou and 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 they've they've either got one or the other. They've got really good cabins, but the fishing is kind of okay. Um, uh, or they've got great fishing, but the cabins sort of suck. Um, yeah. With I find with White Lake, where a place that I go to, the Sunny Shores Resort, we go in there. Yeah, you know, since there. it was a, yeah. a tent place, yeah. And um, they've got the dock right on the lake. Your cabin's right there on the lake. Uh, it's very convenient. The lake is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's um, it's challenging, very, very challenging. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it sucks. But that's part, all part of, of fishing. So that's that's kind of my go-to place at this point. So I get out, you know, you know, when you're working full-time job, you've got your three weeks holidays, you know, and that's where I'd be spending one of my weeks solid, you know, for a while. Something it's I... Diff- Sorry, I, I was just going to say something I love about that lake too is it's um, anytime you can fish kind of clear water and also have all those kind of uh, plus, plus, mm-hmm. plus, you know what I mean? Like right. if you can yeah. be on a pretty still water rather than tea colored, for me, there's something special there too. Oh, exactly. Yeah, me too. I love it. The the, the tea colored stuff is, uh, uh, it's a hit and miss sort of, you can't really see what's going on. You can see structure, but um, yeah, I don't know. You're right. White Lake has got that. It's super clear. It's almost like you're in the Bahamas or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and the weather can be up to, you know, 20, 28 to 30 degrees in May or June. And it, it's, it's beautiful. It's my, you know, I, I love it up there. Yeah. You're painting a good picture there. <laughs> I, I'm curious of all the years you spent on the water, whether it's in southern Alberta or the province of British Columbia, chasing fish with a fly rod. Um, you, had anything really bizarre happen to you in your time on the water? Any weird fish stories that or wildlife encounters that come to mind? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I've seen cougars and bears um, aplenty. Um, uh, when I was living in Ocean Park, this is something, or sorry, in um, uh, um, Okotoks in Alberta, I was there for 25 plus years, uh, like almost 30 years. And we, I, I fished the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains, you know, from basically Red Deer all the way down to the border and south. I've even gone to Montana a couple of times. Um, the, so you're, you're going to encounter wildlife. And I went a lot, like I was sometimes twice, three times a week, I'd be out fishing. And I think there's two things that really come to mind. One was the most bizarre catch, and it was on the Bow River. And I would walk and wade on the Bow River. So there's there nobody there. You'd see the occasional drift boat go by with a you know, client, but um, no one else was around. I'd, I'd hike in like two or three miles to get to this particular spot and I caught and I'd catch anywhere from anywhere from eight to 18 inch rainbows pretty decent um the browns weren't down in this area they were closer to Calgary but I'd have a great time down there and I I caught about a 14 inch rainbow saw them come up on a caddis I think it was a caddis or could have been a hopper at that point and um and then all of a sudden it just went dead my the rod just stopped I'm like, what the hell? I'm like stuck on something. And I knew the 
the the you know the the um, geometry, I guess, of the of that river. And there's no weeds, there's no big boulders, and and then it started moving. And I'm like, oh crap, I got something <laughs> on here. And I started, you know, reeling it in. I got my five weight going, and 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 um, and it's um, uh, just it's not moving. And then all of a sudden, it starts moving, and it moves quicker and quicker and quicker and then all of a sudden it's flying all of a sudden I've got my, I'm in my backing and I'm running down the, li- the side of the river trying to hold on to this thing and I finally get it in and it's a 24 inch rainbow or plus maybe it might have been 28 with this 14 inch rainbow in its mouth wow yeah wow <laughs> yeah so and he wouldn't let go of this this trout like he just wouldn't let go of it and so he and I got it right up to the shore, brought him out, and he's got the fish in his mouth. So that's that's probably one of the most bizarre, you know, fishing wow, experiences that, catching a fish. That's, uh, that's a big trout too. I mean, wow. Oh yeah, for that for that river, that's that's like record breaking stuff. Wow. Yeah. If if something's going to eat a fourteen inch trout, it's gonna be a decent size. A, yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's a yeah. story. So I thought, oh, I, I better start changing my fly presentations. <laughs> so did you ever start going over to like fourteen-inch uh, bucktails after that, or what? <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, no, I kind of liked um, the um, the dry fly fishing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I didn't. I there's a another guy that I fished with who was a a real streamer fisherman and that that dale fresky uh he he's the bulldog is what they call him and he was super super at at um at woolly bugger fishing and streamer fishing <laughs> yeah the, I, the I, other go ahead go ahead no no you go i was just going to say his pattern don't they call it the bulldog that's kind of like yeah. a, a woolly bugger with uh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah the, the bulldog yeah, it was, I had a lot of fun fishing with those guys. That's and awesome. um, the most uh, exhilarating or frightening experience, and this was a whole story. I don't know if you or the listeners really have time for this one. Oh, but we, it, we uh, got time if you got time. Okay. So this is uh, like on a, a, a yearly trip. I, I met up with a bunch of guys that I'd, I'd fly fish with throughout the summer and, and, uh, they were teachers. So they, they were off during the summertime and these, this group of them would get together from all over Western Canada, uh, every year to go on, on a fishing trip and they do their studies and they research and all that. Well, I was on the road during one of these trips of theirs and they invited me to stop by. So stopped by and we went and fished this, what they called Cataract Creek. And Cataract Creek was, was in the southern part of of Alberta, uh, where the Rocky Mountains are really steep. They're right in, right at the edge of the prairies and the Rockies. So this is they're, they're really really steep. And we went into this little creek that was called Cataract Creek, or it could be Mill Creek or Secret Creek. I don't know which one, <laughs> but it, the uh, sides of the of this 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 gully were like 50 to a hundred feet high. And you had this, this creek that ran in between and it had 
multiple cataracts. So, and for those who don't know, that's uh, like a pool that runs into another pool and it, there could be five feet to, to 10 feet drops into these different uh, pools. And then it would run into a little bit of a shallow and then it would hit another one of these cataracts, these little falls that ran into these pools. The fishing was fantastic. It was cutthroat fishing. It was unbelievably fantastic. And we would hop what we call leapfrog. So one guy would go ahead and then the next guy would go by him and then you go by him and, and so on, so on, so on, so forth. Now I go ahead of one guy and, and no one's going ahead of me. I'm like, what's going on? I fished this little place for a little while. I got a couple of cutthroats in the back of my, my fishing vest and, and, uh, for dinner that night, that was legal back then. And it was okay back then. <laughs> and, uh, I go back and the guy's gone. I'm like, well, where'd he go? There's only one way to go. And I start looking around and there's a rope on the side of the cliff. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that must be what these guys did. They must've gone over and around. There must be a trail because it was quite dangerous going through this canyon. So I tied this, this thing onto, the, onto my belt and I start, and we, we waited in boots and shorts back back then. We didn't have waders. We just went for it. So I had this leather filson belt on right. and climbed up to the top. It was really steep, quite an angle. I get to the top and I'm just starting to undo the the knot off my belt. And there's a, a mom and two cubs like 15 feet away. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. she's up. Yeah, she's howling and she's stomping and she's up and she's starting to come towards me. And I scrambled over the the edge and started sliding down on my back on this sort of clay and rocky cliff. And and I hit a rock and I start flipping. And then I'm now I'm turning and I'm falling down this 50-foot cliff. And I go just about to hit the river and all of a sudden the rope grabs the back of my belt wow. and stops me from falling into the river. Meanwhile, I'm cut up <laughs> everywhere. I think I broke my ankle, but I didn't. I almost sprained it. And so I'm swinging on top of the river or creek underneath me. And I, the first thing I see it, are these two huge cutthroat trout right in the bottom of this pool. <laughs> and the <that, laughs> so first thing I think of is, like, oh, wow, these are awesome. How am I going to get those? Anyway. <laughs> totally, totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I swing myself off and I finally get down and I say, oh, I'm not going up there. If there's a trail, I'm not going there anyway. So I take this belt off, kind of fall into the creek, and then I start just basically swimming down the creek. And it takes me oh, like an hour and a half to get through this canyon. And I've got this bear whistle in my mouth the whole time, blowing this thing, hoping that these guys are somewhere. I don't even know where. I've never been to this place before. And I finally get to this clearing at the end where it's just about to go into uh, what is called the the Old Man River, I believe. Yeah, the Old Man River. And and there's a fire going, and one of the buddies there has, has been waiting for me. So, so I get out there, finally get to the campground and it's now it's starting to get dark and, and my, my ankle swollen, like a balloon. I got cuts and scrapes all over my body and, 
and just having a beer and uh, telling the story. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a hell of a story. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was just, and that's one of many. I mean, you when you start fly fishing and you start challenging yourself and going out to remote places that people haven't been to and um, or not too many people, uh, you, you start running into wildlife all over the place. I've seen black bears like crazy. Uh, cougars were cool to see. I never had any problems with black bears or cougars, um, hmm. but I was used to it. So yeah, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> hey, you hit that one right out of the park. Um, <laughs> okay. Is is there? I want you to paint us a picture of your dream day. So I I suspect you're kind of like. It seems like the moving water is near and dear to your heart, but maybe it's somewhere like White Lake or on the still. I don't know. But walk us through your dream day. If you could describe it, um, you know, what what kind of water are you hitting? What kind of trout are you throwing for? Is there something warm to drink or cool to drink uh, at the end of the day? Paint us a picture, Patrick, of your perfect day. Okay. Um, well, the perfect day starts with a lot of prep um for example i'd be going to uh let's say the crow's nest river and there's a particular hatch that's going to be happening and it's the um uh salmon fly hatch which are huge Mm. stone flies yeah so you prep for this you tie the flies you get everything right you get everything ready uh, it's, you know, months in the planning, uh, you get down there, there's a campsite down there. I don't know if it's still there or not. It was, uh, um, it was up on a hill. It was a great little campground run by great people. Uh, Hiawatha campground is what it was called. And it was up high overlooked the uh, Crow's Nest river and it was absolutely gorgeous. So the night, night before, you know, you have a nice meal, uh, get a good night's sleep, get up early in the morning. I'd park um, about a mile of a hike in. So you're hiking in uh, through all these, you know, farmer's fields and then you get into bushes and uh, there's there's trails, animal trails and whatnot that you're following and you finally get to the river and the river's just peacefully running. You can hear the, the, the water just sort of trickling down on a couple of rocks on the other side and there's some branches there you know, calmly every once in a while hitting the top of the water. It's midsummer. It's beautiful. Um, well, actually, at this point, it would be in just the beginning of the summer in July. And and the salmon fly hatch, you've either hit it or you missed it. Um, this particular moment, I missed it, but it was still okay. Um, but I'd get into the river and you'd stand there. And the one thing that I really learned uh, about this sport was to not just rush in and start casting. Um, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was Jim McLennan. I came up to the river once and, and I saw this person just sitting there watching. And that's kind of what I was doing. Just get into the river, stop, just stop and listen. And you listen and you'd hear little blurps here and little blurps over there. And you were able to, focus on it and, and find out where it was because these trout will stay in the same place. 
you know, they're, they're feeding in their own, their little, you know, rooms or houses or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you sort of pinpoint on one, focus on one, and then get the cast in. You know, you do your few false casts, you drop it, you missed it, and then, ah, you know, try it again. Ah, that one didn't work. Uh, get it again, and you just about got it. And then you finally hit that that cast that goes in it. They're usually side casts on these little creeks, and you're just going to go underneath a bush, and it just, the fly just drops perfectly on top of the water with a little poof. And, the, you know, a truck comes up, it grabs it, and, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're ready. You know the the fight's on. You you bring them in and you release them and and take the fly, blow it dry, and then a deer pokes its head out beside you and takes a drink in the river and then disappears in silence. That's the perfect day. I'm I'm, I'm getting a little lost there in your words. I love it. Um, what, uh, what about the end of the day? Is there a nice meal around a campfire or something warm to drink? Yeah. At the end of the day, like I'm a, I'm a, a tequila drinker. I like my, my tequilas. So, and beers. Uh, so during the, during the day, I, I guess I omitted this, uh, at the beginning, you would, you know, throw a, a six pack or whatever, a couple of beers or whatever in the, in the stream where you came in and then you'd walk down or walk up the stream, whichever way you wanted to go. And then at the end of your sort of day, you'd come back and there'd be a nice cold beer sitting there waiting for you before you take your hike back to the car or the truck. Yeah. And in the evening, it was usually pre-made out of spaghetti stuff that was already set up, ready to go. And then Smokies. When it's once it became dark, Smokies on the barbie or on the open fire and uh, corn on the cob, you know, on the flames and uh, some ice and a glass of tequila and a hmm. couple of beers. What kind of tequila? It. What's your go-to tequila? I'm really curious because I've got a couple buddies that are real tequila aficionados and they're always throwing brands at me. What, <laughs> what do you like? Well. 1800 is one of my favorite kind of value ones. The other one that I get usually is the Espelon. Yeah. Yeah. The Espelon has been rated uh, number one all over the place for value. The next one would be uh, the Rocks tequila. And I can't remember, I can't recall the name right now, but the Rock put out a tequila and it is awesome. Okay. Cool. It's awesome. Right. I've I've had lots of tequilas. I spent uh, six weeks down in Mexico in the on the Yucatan Peninsula fly fishing once, and drinking the best tequilas that are made that don't get to the liquor stores. And this one from the Rock is probably the closest that I've had to one of those tequilas. Well, I don't think uh, the Rock's going to half-ass anything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did a. We were at a five star resort one time in Mexico. It was like we totally splurged, and I did this tequila tasting when the kids were busy in the pool one day. And uh, man, I, it's an eye opener because a lot of that it's like it's like wine. A lot of the good stuff you don't always see, but when you're when in Rome, 
right? You're gonna yeah, you're gonna yeah. find it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've got I got a philosophical question for you, and I'm really curious your take on this. Um, sure. Because you've been at this a few years now. Um, how are we doing, like as a group, fly fishers? Because you've seen a lot. You've seen the changes from from the you know the late '70s to now. What's your takeaway? Is there anything that kind of irks you about what's going on, or do you think we're overall we're in a pretty good spot? Um. That's a good question, and uh, my answer might, you know, draw some comments. Um, I think the, like everything that the that that we do uh, now, it's it's all like everything's more. It's it's more detailed. It's more specific. It's more. Um, magnifying glasses on everything and it's it it's it's kind of um it's no longer as simple as it used to be kind of um i look at some fly patterns these days and i'm like why go through all that trouble like it's (laughs) you know yeah yeah. well trust me i do when it when it takes me an hour to tie one fly i know exactly what you're doing yeah (laughs) i'm like but I, I know I know exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for this, which is just basically three ingredients with some like Hallie Hansen's blue on it. Um, or Sa- and, Sally Hansen's, that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, Sally Hansen. Yeah. That's right. I mean, Hallie yeah. Hansen. And, we're talking rain gear here. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Sally Hansen's blue, and like that's the old the old stuff, and you'd have like five different thread colors and that would do that's all you needed now i've got uh, i've got walls of of colors and now there's fluorescence and there's uh, there's every kind of chenille you can think of and now oh, we're it's wild. we're using yeah we're using um static bags of, of all things um which is okay yeah it works it's great you know um so I think it's just it's it's um that part of it I think is getting a little a little too much, but but that's okay too. I mean, some guys just love that. They're they're artists. The ones that do that kind of work are real artists. They're real real creative artists that that make that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and that and that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great for that's, them. To, that's well verbalized. That. that is because I I know what you mean. I mean. You know, when you were selling materials and and whatnot in the in the eighties, nineties, into the early two thousands, we didn't have the selection, right? It's like you know, you you'd buy, you'd have four or five colors of chenille, right? You'd have, yeah, you exactly. Know. Yeah, and the uh, rest you can get from the from the arts and crafts store. Yeah, yeah. Now it's <laughs> now it's the possibilities are endless. Now that's exciting, but. Um, I do think we overthink it, and you're right. I think it's kind of like harness that inner artist uh, and do it because you can. <laughs> you know, exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. doesn't mean yeah. the trout's going to like it anymore, but you can. Yeah. And, yeah. So yeah. So that's something that that um that's changed a lot, and I think it might be you know a little overwhelming for someone that's coming into fly fishing. You know that that. Even fly lines, there, there's what is there like thirty different kinds of fly lines you could get when 
Yeah, that's... we had floating sinking. Yeah, well, that this is where <laughs> I, I I listen to an expert on fly lines, like somebody from Scientific Angler or Airflow or yeah. whatever company you choose to uh, to use. I you know I just look at the sink rate and I want okay I want a super fast sink I want maybe a slow sink and a floating maybe a right. sink tip if we're going to get you know back in the day that would be kind of pushing the envelope oh I got a sink yeah. tip you'd be like oh yeah. right on oh yeah yeah well now it's like I I you know when you have too many choices and I feel that way too when I get in a fly shop and I go to the tying section I'm just like over and I've been doing this a while I get overwhelmed I'm like I just came in for thread, man, and I got 37 right. colors of UV, something I'm not going to use, but it looks good on the wall. <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of flies look good to the fly fishermen. Yeah. Not necessarily the, the fish. Did you sell, um, was it Springbrook was your brand that you used to sell, or what did you sell? Uh, for fly tying products? No, I'm, actual finish flies. Oh, they were my my flies. Oh, they were yours. Okay. Yeah, I I I um, I set up factories in Thailand and Kenya. Okay. And supplied them with all the the hooks, uh, the patterns, and in those days it was VHS. So I'd send you know VHS uh, stuff out to them with tie instructions, and I'd send them hooks and materials and hmm. and all that and my my basic fly pattern um, selection came from um, the fly patterns of British Columbia uh, book. Hmm. And, and then it would also come from the various uh, shop owners that I would run into throughout the course of, of, um, of my trips. So I'd go into, you know, Rod's fly shop in Castlegar, for example, mm-hmm. and, and he's got, you know, four patterns that work great, uh, on the Columbia. So I would take his patterns and I, I, I'd custom make them. And people didn't do that much back in those days. There wasn't a lot of custom fly tying done. It was all, like you say, it was like Springbrook or, or blacks or, or legacy or rainy's flies or, you know, and that, but that was your choices. Yeah. Black Spratly and a Tom Thumb. You're good to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I created my own. It was called Red Dirt Fly. Okay. Because the the place that they they were tied in, uh, the dirt in the area was was red, and we got um, t-shirts that were dyed out of red sand as well. So it was it was kind of cool. Like you know, I had a pretty good. Pretty good gig going back then. Now I'm trying to set that up again. Yo, let's talk about that. Are, are you still doing okay for time? Everything you're comfortable? Everything's good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't as quickly as I used to. Uh, I know that when I came out of the hospital, it was um, pretty bizarre. Uh, you couldn't actually coordinate properly. Like things wouldn't, yeah. you know, function right. You couldn't tie things properly. It was weird. Huh. Uh, but but I, I got back. I'm I'm now tying yeah. decently and doing okay. So you mentioned that to me just kind of before we started recording that uh, you're trying to get Pat's premium flies kind of up and going, and um, that makes a lot of sense to me because it's something you can do at home. And I know you're spending a lot of time around the house. Um, 
talk to me about that. Where are you at with Pat's premium flies? What are you, what are you up to? Well, I was um, lucky enough to have, you know, I did still have a lot of connections in the fly tying business, like uh, the manufacturers and suppliers and whatnot, uh, like Wopsy, um, uh, Hook and Hackle, uh, been kind enough to support me on this venture. Uh, uh, East Slope uh, Distributors, they're another, you know, bunch that are helping me out with this. So um, what 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 I'm trying to do, my ultimate goal is to offer the fly fisherman uh, and the fly tire, um, but mo- mainly focus on the fly fisher. So if, if he's going to uh, Tonqua Lake, for example, and he's going in May and he's looking for a fly selection that's successful at that lake during that time, then that's where I come in. That's where you know my customers uh, would say i'm going here at this time uh i want to spend 50 bucks um you know what can you do for me so and i would put together a fly selection that's good for that lake at that time uh when they're going for the fish that i know that's in there um because i've fly fished almost every I have fly fished every region in southern Alberta, uh, southern Saskatchewan, and southern BC, a little bit in central, but mostly southern, and Vancouver Island. So when they say I'm going to Loon Lake in uh, September, I'll say, okay, well, this is what you need. And so that's kind of the direction that I'm trying to make Pat's Premium Flies go in. That makes and perfect then, sense in my brain because uh, it can be overwhelming otherwise. You know what you know what insects are coming off. It's sorry, hold on a second. My wife's got the vacuum. Hold on a second. <laughs> What's going on up there? You you know. <laughs> oh crap. Um, you know what's going on certain time, whether it's chronomids happening or maize or damsels. I think that's a a big missing piece of information. And that's where kind of the fly shops, you know, when you're actually in there in that region, but you can also reach out now. And I would imagine online, I think you might be onto something here. Yeah. This is what I thought when I was, what really sort of started it was I, you know, I had a whole, I, I spent a lot of money getting these flies done at these factories. And then they ended up working, you know, like kind of leaving that, that job with all this inventory. Um, so I was going through all my stuff and thinking, oh, all right, that, you know, that, that's, that life's never going to come back to me, I don't think. So I'm just going to start selling off all this stuff. <clears throat> so that's what I started doing. And then uh, like just Craigslist and stuff, just selling out all sample things that I've done. And then a few, you know, things that I would tie together and, and, and I noticed that people were really looking for, for information. They're really thirsty for it. They don't seem to get it at, at the fly shops. And like you say, they do it at that shop. Like if you're going to 100 Mile House, there's a really cool little shop up there that does a great job of supplying flies for that region. Um, but sometimes guys don't have time for that or they're not, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't really know. They don't. And sometimes they don't trust 
people. You know, they don't like they're going in and they're saying they want this and, and they feel they're not getting what they're asking for. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's true in some cases, in some cases not. But, but you know, sometimes, you know, if you own a retail shop, you've got to sell stuff, right? So yeah. uh, I, I understand the position of a retail shop. And they don't steer anyone wrong. People do need this stuff. But do they need it right now? Maybe not, you know. So uh, have you been working on your website uh, Pat's yeah. Premium Flies. Uh, talk, where, <laughs> yeah. where do we find it? Is it patspremiumflies.com? How, where, where do we yeah. go? Yeah, patspremiumflies.com, but flies is spelled F L Y apostrophe S. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I get a lot of flack about that, and I might change it to proper spelling, but something that I'm very well known for is being is not being able to spell properly. So, uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of my character. So, well, that's, you know what, that's very common now. We, I mean, I don't know what I'd do without autocorrect. Yeah. And I'm really trying, like, I'm doing this all by myself. Um, and I, I had a, 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 a website set up, you know, back with Finecast Agencies, and I had over 100 pages on it with, with, you know, thousands, it seems, of items and products and companies and and all that. And and uh, they don't do that anymore. They don't use that particular setup anymore for making websites. It's all um, you, by companies. So this one I'm doing is is done by Wix. So it's their sort of template, and I'm trying to navigate through it to make it work yeah well so the, anyway the more yeah, you you're can, gonna that i feel your pain on that because yeah. I, trust me i'm uh, i'm not very good at that stuff i actually pay somebody to do it but my website is not <laughs> well you'll be able to find this show let's put it that way but um any, right. anything on top of that it's like yeah no yeah um it's all good though i like for me it's like the social media thing is 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 another layer right so have you got a, an Instagram, Patrick, by chance on 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 Pat's Premium Flies? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, it's just uh, I think it's uh, it's just Patrick nineteen sixty or something like that. I can't remember, but I got I guess I have to change it to a business thing. Oh, it's PJ Gilmore, nineteen sixty. Yeah, I follow you. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. P- oh, excuse me. Got it. And PJ Gilmore, nineteen sixty. Yeah, that's my okay. birth year, so you know, make it easy. Try to make things simple, you know. Yes. Well, yeah, I hear you on that. So, um, <laughs> if if you ever have anything going on, you just just let me know. I'm always happy to promote something you're up to. And um, I got to tell you, man, I uh, I've been looking forward. You and I touched base quite a few weeks or maybe months back, and. Uh, it's. I'm glad we finally made this happen. I really am. It's been a. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Is Is there anything oh, we haven't covered you. that you're like, oh, man? I I wish I would have gone there. Oh no! I think you've done a pretty good job of going over the basics. That's for sure. <laughs> um, well, well, yeah. No, no. Thank you very much for having me on, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. And, and uh, just to be in among the, the the company that you keep on here is 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 um you know pleasure enough it's just it's something i i never thought i'd ever be 
associated well, with. My friend, you're welcome on here anytime, and I, I, I really hope we get to chat again soon. I, I wish you continued good health and uh, good luck with Pat's Premium Flies, although I know you don't need luck at this point. <laughs> I think, you know, you've got the bases covered. So we've been chatting tonight with Patrick Gilmore out of White Rock, British Columbia, Canada. Look him up, Pat's Premium Flies on Instagram. Um, PJ Gilmore, 1960 on Instagram right now. I'm sure he'll come up with something else. Um, Happy Gilmore, uh, also known as in the magic van. And the reason for that is he used to drive basically Western Canada selling just about every single product, fly fishing and fly tying related you can think of. So grateful you took the time. Thanks again, my friend, Patrick. Enjoy your evening. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm -hmm.